Okay, so now, Josh Coates, you are from the Wilderness Society. First of all, what's your professional background? All right, how are you? Um, yeah, look, I've worked for the Wilderness Society. I'm the Kimberley campaigner with the Western Australian branch of the Wilderness Society. Uh, my background is in marine science. I've done uh, various research work, um, both in South Australia, the Northern Territory, and I'm now based in Western Australia. I've also got quite a bit of experience working with Indigenous people on various projects. Okay, now for a matter of disclosure here, I should say that I am a Wilderness Society member. Oh, I'm pleased to hear it. Yes, I uh, joined after meeting one of your street workers uh, a few weeks ago. So, Josh, tell us a little bit about the environment, the marine environment in the Kimberleys. Yeah, look, the Kimberley marine environment is just amazing. It's one of the one of the least impacted coastlines in the world. In fact, recent studies based on the Millennium Analysis have uh, had a look at uh, the level of human impact on coastlines in the world, and pretty much the only uh, coastlines that you can compare the Kimberley to are the Arctic and Antarctic. Antarctic uh, coastlines in terms of level of human impact, which is an amazing thing to think that here is one of the most pristine and unimpacted coastlines in the world, right here in Australia. It's, it's a jewel in the world's crown. Oh, and what are the main features of it? Kimberley Coast is, is diverse and amazing. One of the really interesting things about the area is the massive tidal range. It's something that not everybody knows, but uh, the second largest tides in the world occur on the Kimberley Coast. So what you've got is massive water movement, which it's a really interesting and unique environment. Some of the, uh, the special communities that you've got in the Kimberley include some amazing coral reef areas. This is something that's not really well known, but some it's really diverse and large fringing of coral reefs um, all throughout the Kimberley. It's one of the longest wilderness coastlines in the world, and there are literally thousands of islands. Now, those islands act as uh, refugia for species um, that are endangered or, in fact, extinct in other areas of the country. And surrounding them are these beautiful fringing coral reefs with an incredible diversity of species of corals and, of course, um, associated uh, species like fish and uh, invertebrates. But uh, these coral reefs, every time scientists visit them, they're finding new species. And as a result of some of the um, industrial pressures that have been put on the Kimberley at the moment, there has been an increased level of uh, scientific research. And it's amazing, the, the diversity of corals, um, coral species in the area has actually now exceeded the number of uh, coral species that have been found on the Ningaloo Reef, which is uh, a World Heritage-listed uh, reef in the, in the middle of Western Australia, that, uh, or the halfway up the coast of Western Australia that many of your listeners will be familiar with. What I expect uh, will happen is that we'll find there... What I expect is that uh, as further research is undertaken, and there really has been very little research done on the Kimberley Coast compared to areas like the Great Barrier Reef, I'd expect to find that there is a higher diversity of coral species in the, in the Kimberley area than there is to be found on the Great Barrier Reef. In, and this is due to a number of factors, such as the, um, the proximity to Indonesia and the, the long, the long north-south nature of the, of the Kimberley coast, as well as those high tides I talked about, um, the variation in turbidity and a number of other factors. How much of it is protected at the moment? Are there any marine parks there right now? It's an amazing thing, but uh, currently absolutely none of the coastal waters of the Kimberley are protected in any sort of marine park, which is just mind-boggling. And how much fishing and um, that sort of activity goes on at the moment? Yeah, look, there is a significant amount of fishing activity on the Kimberley coast, and it is certainly a concern. There are also um, proposals for large-scale sea pen aquaculture, which is uh, very concerning. 
as you, as many of your listeners might be familiar with, um, some forms of uh, sea pen aquaculture are quite damaging to benthic habitats, to the, mm. the sea floor in terms of the amount of um, fish species and uh, uneaten food that uh, gets through these cages and uh, impacts on, on the benthos or sea bottom. Right. Well, what sort of species are being farmed there? So these, are, these are more proposals, especially for barramundi farming. Um, existing aquaculture developments on the coast are mainly based around uh, pearl aquaculture for the, um, for the pearl industry. Okay. So uh, are there any main differences between the Great Bear Reef? You mentioned the species. You think there's probably more species there. But are there any other differences between the Kimberley region and the Great Barrier Reef? Yeah, well, look, there is one major difference between the uh, Great Barrier Reef and the, and the reef of the Kimberley. In the 1970s, Australia said no to oil and gas mining on the Great Barrier Reef, and look, we haven't looked back from that decision. Um, the Great Barrier Reef currently brings in, I think, it's something in the order of $5 billion a year in revenue, largely from tourism, but also from other industries such as sustainable fishing. If um, people were to come along now and propose to, um, to mine oil and gas out of the Great Barrier Reef, there'd be a huge public outcry. And the Kimberley has similar similar important natural values. This is, an, this is important on a world scale. We just don't don't think that um, well, you know major developments on the Kimberley coast, such as what is proposed in terms of uh, onshore liquid natural gas refining or um, processing plants, which yeah. has been proposed for the, for the pristine Kimberley coast to service um, gas, large gas reserves that have been identified in the Browse Gas Basin, which is offshore from the Kimberley. Okay, I want to ask you about the gas project in a moment, but first, uh, one difference I imagine is the there's large amount of agricultural activity on the land around the Great Bear Reef, but I imagine in the Kimberleys there's not much agriculture. I know there's the Ord scheme. Does that have an impact up there? The Ord scheme, as you're probably aware, is a very major agricultural development. Um, they've dammed the Ord River and um, it's a massive dam. They've created Lake, Lake Argyle, which is a huge lake. Now that's had major, major impacts on the on the river on the on the Ord River in terms of cutting off those um, dry season flows and uh, impacting on species such as the um, endangered sawfish. Right. So we certainly wouldn't want to see anything like that happen to the other rivers of the Kimberley. Kimberley is home to some of the most um, untouched and uh, natural rivers left in Australia. We would hate to see some of the mistakes that have been made in the southern states repeated in the north of the country in the Kimberley. Yeah, now I understand that uh, some of those rivers have vast volumes of water flowing through them. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the gas reserves up there and, and what, what are they planning to do with those? Uh, what gas projects do they have in mind? Yeah, look, as I said, a number of companies have identified significant reserves of gas in the Browse Gas Basin, which is some... Um, yeah, any which is offshore from the the Kimberley coast. Much of the uh, basin is in Commonwealth waters, not state waters. There's a, currently a proposal to um, bring the, some of that gas onshore and uh, process it into liquid natural gas, which is then shipped around the world to countries like China and uh, and some, uh, some other Asian countries. So basically, what uh, the proposal is is to put in a very large industrial development slated to cover. Um, tens of thousands of hectares and basically would, um, would require major infrastructure including huge ports, things like airports. Um, we just don't think of this as at all compatible with protecting the natural values of the Kimberley Coast. Are you saying that it's mainly the uh, terrestrial activities that will have the effect? What about the drilling itself? 
the, the drilling is going to have serious impacts, as um, you may or may not understand. There is there's major um, spills and uh, regular um, what they what they could refer to as normal or standard discharges of uh, pollutants, including oil and uh, and other chemicals that are associated with the process that would be released into the water. There's the physical impacts, and one of the major physical impacts is in terms of the dredging and disturbance of the seafloor that has to occur in order to build both the, the uh, drilling rigs and the pipelines to pipe gas to uh, processing facilities such as the ones proposed. Also, the, in, the infrastructure that's required to um, service these kind of onshore liquid natural gas processing plants, which I touched on before, such as uh, major ports, and major jetties and also breakwaters are going to have a serious impact on the, on the ecology, especially the marine ecology. Of the, of the Kimberley Coast. Um, there's some really special species that exist on the Kimberley Coast, species like the humpback whales. The Kimberley Coast is the uh, nursery area, it's the breeding and mating area for the group four population of humpback whales. It's the largest population of humpback whales in the world. So therefore it can quite reasonably be argued that uh, this import, this carving and breeding area, many people think that uh, humpback whales live in, in the Arctic. No, they don't. Humpback whales live in the Kimberley. The group four population live in the Kimberley. They migrate to the Arctic every year to feed, but this is where they're at the most sensitive. This is where they're, where they're, where the um, females give birth. This is where they suckle their young. This is, and it's also where they um, build up the fat reserves that they're going to require to um, survive the cold temperatures of their, their feeding areas. So, what are they eating? What are the humpback whales eating? A humpback whales, um, my understanding is they um, eat a wide range of small, small invertebrates. Um, so, krill is what. What sort of effect would something like a breakwater have, apart from the obvious thing of filling in part of the bay? Well, there's a, there's a number of effects. Basically, a, a large breakwater of the scale that they're talking about is something that uh, I certainly haven't seen before. They're talking about five kilometre long. Five kilometres? Five kilometre long breakwaters oh. in 20 metres of water, which is just, you know, initially, that's an absolutely massive volume of rock that's going to be required. Now, that's going to have to come from somewhere. So there could be a major terrestrial impact associated with that or a major marine associated. Of course, there's going to be huge disturbance of the seafloor whilst they're building such a, such a facility and the same goes for the poor facilities which will require major channels and therefore major dredging which is going to stir up the sediment and lead to turbidity, basically large amounts of sediment in the water column. Now, this, this uh, turbidity has a major impact on coral reef communities in terms of smothering them, cutting off the light that the coral needs to photosynthesise. It also has major impacts on important communities such as seagrass, which are really important areas for species such as dugong, developments, um, dredging and uh, other you know, disturbance of the seafloor. Is there any middle ground here, Josh? Is there a way that you can have some development and, and minimal impact, or do you think it's a case of it's just impossible to, to mitigate it to any reasonable degree. Well, there are other options. What we're calling on, um, on government decision-makers to do is to seriously consider options for onshore gas processing that are outside of the sensitive Kimberley Coast. Now, there are options. We've seen recently one of the major um, um, industry players in this, the Impex Total joint venture, have announced that they're taking their browse gas to Darwin, where there are established um, industrial infrastructure. Um, we'd like to see further consideration given to sites in the Pilbara, south of the Kimberley Coast, again, where there are already areas with established industrial infrastructure. 
Yeah, and the Kimberley Coast is just one of the special places. It's of world heritage value, it's of world significance, and it's just one of those areas where we should say, no, it's not appropriate to do this kind of thing there. I think that there are other viable options. So, Josh, can we go back to the whales a little bit, and you can tell me a little bit about how these activities might affect the whale population? Yeah, look, there's a range of potential impacts on this really sensitive uh, whale creepfall population. The most obvious is just the uh, risk of boat strike. The increased shipping, the huge increase in shipping that would be required to service a facility like this um, really increases the risk of, uh, of these large boats, some of the largest boats in the world, LNG tankers, actually physically striking this group for population of whales and um, causing damage at a time when they're at their most sensitive. Sorry, no, no pun intended, but what is the impact of ship strike with a whale? Obviously, it's very damaging to the whale, but... How frequent is that sort of thing likely to be? Are there studies that show that there's a, that it's a frequent occurrence? Yeah, look, um, boat strike is very real. It does happen all around the world. There have been recorded incidents of boats um, um, seriously uh, hitting stations, including whales, and uh, seriously injuring and sometimes killing them. That is a very real concern. But uh, probably more large-scale impacts on, on the population would come from the uh, seismic impacts, so from, the, from the noise associated with with the drilling, with the blasting that's required for construction of undersea pipelines, the ongoing maintenance work, the ongoing um, dredging work and the ongoing uh, shipping movements that would be associated with uh, this kind of major development. Um, one of the leading scientists, uh, Kurt Jenner, who's done some a lot of work on this population of whales, has um, shown me some uh, evidence that he's got that he's been monitoring this population as they migrate up and down the west coast many years now and um, he's shown evidence of uh, interruption of the migratory pattern caused by uh, major seismic testing that, uh, that occurred some years ago over the course of I think a three-year period yeah and that led to um, whales basically um, curtailing their migration giving birth early which would have put a, a serious amount of stress on both the mothers and the young. Now an uneducated guess might be that the whales could simply breed elsewhere. What's stopping them oh, well, from just coming? Um, you know, the reason that the whales migrate um, and, and uh, give birth and live in this area of the Kimberley is because of the warm and protected waters, of particularly the Camden Sound region. Now, it is true that uh, as the population increases, they are spreading and using a broader area, but they can't just go anywhere else. This is, this is the area that they migrate year after year to and from, and this is the area that they use to breed. It's not a matter of just moving somewhere else. And it's also the, the factor of the interruption to their migration to, to them actually being able to get to areas that are suitable for them to use starving and breeding areas. Hmm. And do you think there are likely to be indirect effects or such as their, on their diet, on, on things they eat? Yeah, look, I think that's, that's a definite possibility. I mean, there are other risks as well. This massive increase in shipping could... Uh, Quite, uh, quite reasonably and potentially lead to um, introduction of pest, marine pest species, which could in turn impact on the habitat and impact on the environment of the Kimberley Coast. Yes, now pests introduced through the bilge water in ships, is that right? Are there other ways or is that it? Yeah, either on the hulls of the ships or via the, via the ballast water of the ships. They're two mechanisms for um, the introduction of marine pest species. Okay, Josh, so if somebody is interested in knowing more or getting involved in this, can you uh, give us a reference? 
people can find some more information on that by going to the Wilderness Society website, which is wilderness.org.au forward slash Kimberley. We'll take them right to the, uh, the, the right areas to learn a lot more about the Kimberley and also find out ways that they can get involved and things that they can do to uh, help address these issues. Well, Josh Coates, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. My pleasure, likewise. Thank you for